You know how when you're driving, and assuming you drive, most of you do, but assuming you do, you know when you're driving and someone makes you mad on the road, right? Something happens and you become upset with somebody the way they're driving. And you know how often that'll trigger a feeling of not just rage at the moment and all that, but for a lot of us, because I've heard you say it, I've heard many of you say it, it'll trigger a thought of why is it that I'm the only one who knows how to drive? And you have this, this anger in your head and you're just deep in your soul. And it seems like no one knows how to, knows how to drive. And many people, for many people, this manifests itself in road rage, you know, and I don't just mean jumping out of your car and firing a gun. That's pretty extreme. But I mean, you know, getting angry, yelling at other drivers, flicking people off, chasing them down, which is a very dangerous act, uh, etc. And what's interesting to me is that I think most people who react very, very badly in driving scenarios aren't seeing a big picture. Obviously, they're not, in my opinion. They're, they're you know, to, to take a behavior that you uh, experience from someone else and then um, increase the likelihood of that behavior becoming a serious problem by, you know, reacting badly, reacting violently. Something violent didn't happen, so now you're going to react violently or risk further violence at the very least. <clears throat> but let's pare that down for a minute. What is causing this feeling? What is causing this reaction? It's not an issue of keeping calm. It's not an issue of keeping cool or learning how to manage your, you know, anger. It's sort of that, but really pare it down. And we take it down to its bare bones. What do we find? Well, we find the classic thing that we talk about on this podcast is a lack of control. Most things that are based on fear or loss, sadness, anger have to do with some semblance of control loss either a lot of it or a little, but a lot of control loss. And what is it that we don't control on the road? Everybody else. What do we control? Ourselves, right? So it does seem like we're the only ones who knows how to drive because all we can do is control ourselves. And then in the landscape of the public roads, there's a certain level of danger. This is not like walking around a mall. If you're walking around a crowded mall, there's a chance of an accident of some form, but unlikely an accident that's going to result in death or serious injury. You might get annoyed and run into somebody or they run into you walking into a mall, you know, in a crowded mall. You might trip on something and that could be injurious. Don't get me wrong. But let's face it. When you're driving in a car, you're piloting a couple of thousand, couple of 3,000 pound machine and things can go wrong very badly on the road, the way they do every single day for somebody. So when someone wanders into your lane, cuts you off and hits the brakes a little too hard, turns in front of you a little too soon and you have to slam on your brakes to avoid an accident, just driving aggressively in general in ways that you don't like, what is it? It's fear and that comes from the lack of control. And then everyone else, fuck them all, they don't know how to drive, I'm the only one who does. And that's because you're the only one you can control. Now, of course, on the road, there are varying degrees of driver experience and varying degrees of people who are perhaps more dangerous on the road because of physical limitations. And there's all kinds of biases about that. Like, should the very elderly be able to drive if their reflexes are significantly less? 
right? So that's another question for another time. We're not going to go there. And of course, you have brand new drivers. You have people who don't drive frequently. You have people who don't enjoy driving and don't care at all. You have people who like driving. Now, the people who fancy themselves as skilled drivers love to throw this one out. They're like, no, 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 I drive fast and I weave in and out of traffic. But see, I know what I'm doing. And if you haven't heard it before, please understand I've heard it many, many times. They're like, yeah, but I'm a good driver. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? You're taking some risk here. Yeah, but I'm a good driver. Fantastic. See, when you say you're a good driver, therefore, you know what you're doing. Ipso facto, you should be, quote, allowed or given a pass to pass to, to drive the way you do. If you're driving aggressively or really fast or weaving in high traffic. See, when you're on a track, a racetrack, okay, every lap does not change. So the simplest, safest form of racing would be, let's say, let's say it's time attack where you're just trying to get as fast of a lap as possible. You versus the track. Nothing about the track will change. <laughs> Barring any weather changes, nothing about the track will change. It's your skill versus the track. The track won't change. So if your skill is not up to par, you make a poor choice, you're going to crash. You're going to suffer it. And no one else will. If you're racing other drivers, that is an added element of people that you do not control. In a racing situation, the, it's much more risky because everybody's driving more aggressively trying to win. Um, and of course, faster. And But there's less of them instead of a huge traffic jam of thousands of people, you have less people, and everybody has high skills, assuming so, because they're all race car drivers like yourself. But when you move this whole scenario of you and all your skills to the public road, now you have tens of thousands of unpredictable situations around you. And all your skill in the world that you're claiming becomes nearly irrelevant. Are you safer than someone who does not care about driving and puts no effort into it? and does not really pay much attention on the road, of course you're safer than someone like that, okay? But you are saying, and I've heard so many times, yeah, but I know how to drive, so I'm fine with it. That's cool. You're assuming that everyone around you isn't alive or isn't really human, and that somehow they're static. Somehow they're unchanging. They're not going to be random. But when you're driving recklessly, driving quickly, and weaving in and out regularly, you are increasing your chances of an accident because you're accelerating everything, no pun intended. You're making everything happen quicker. Every possible incident comes to you faster. You're increasing the chances of a random thing. All right, so where am I going with all this? <laughs> well, where am I going all this with all of this? It's sort of to do with, I don't want to necessarily use the wrong term here, but it kind of reminds me of the relativity of morality in general. <clears throat> now, being able to stay calm on the road versus not, it's not necessarily an issue of morality, okay? But people's perception of what it means to be angry at other drivers, it brings out something animalistic in people that I've noticed. It brings out something very evolutionary, a survival instinct, because that's exactly what it is. These people are not just annoying you like at a mall, they are threatening your life. Because driving is a dangerous thing when compared to walking around a mall or sitting on the couch. Driving is a relatively dangerous thing to do that we all do. Okay. <clears throat> now, I don't want to hear stories right now about how flying is more dangerous because every crash results in death. However, we have a higher, you know, success rate <laughs> and a lower crash rate in airplanes. I know I've heard all this data as well. I'm not talking about that. What I'm trying to move that, move this point into is how you live your life 
with this relative idea of your place in everything and your perceived idea of what you are relative to everyone else. It's very, very easy to get caught up in the me. Why am I the only person who seems to understand? Why does nobody like me? Things like that. Hmm? Why does no one get it? Sometimes in smaller groups, that is the situation. You are incompatible with a small group. The interests are too different. The moral set is too different. And it doesn't work for you and vice versa. But on larger scales, we still say no one understands. We still love to say no one gets me. No one knows what I know. And all these have a semblance of truth. To them. There's a piece of truth in all of that. Because no one can be you. That's true. So no one can understand and see things from your perspective. That's absolutely true. That in and of itself does not mean that you're better or superior to anybody or inferior or worse than anybody. It's just kind of circumstantial. But we have this strong feeling that no one gets us. Every relationship, every romantic relationship fails. And everybody's terrible. The people I date are awful. They're all bad. Everybody from this region is bad. Everybody of this race is bad. Everybody from that gender is bad because of my experiences. No one gets it but me. This is where bias comes from. Because your situation on the road, no one else knows how to drive but me, is a bias, right? And bias, most people's bias, stems from some actual, potentially could have started as something very rational and logical. You start driving, and within a couple of years, people run and crash into you, and you did nothing wrong. You're at a dead stop. My first accident, my first accident in a car, I was dead stopped, and I was a teenager. I had my turn signal to the left, waiting to turn left. I got plowed into from behind. Did nothing wrong. Okay? Let's say that kept happening. By the time I'm 22 years old, people just keep crashing into me. You could go as far as saying people are terrible on the road. They're awful. Fuck them all. I'm going to have, you know, I have to watch out for every single person on the road. It's fear, but it's also bias. Now, you're more than justified in your mind. See, the problem is with other drivers, I think we can all roll our eyes a little bit and go, yeah, yeah, and you know, I hate driving. People are terrible. <laughs> but what about the bias that you have? against certain types of people. We do it all the time. And I don't just mean I simply don't like black people. I don't like Asian people. I hate white people. I don't just mean the obvious ones. I mean simple things, like the way we stereotype people from a specific states in the United States. Like they're really all that different. Like somehow or another, there's a, a way to gauge their morality or decency or intelligence simply because of where they're from. One of the few things we can really determine when someone's from somewhere is like their accent, <laughs> right? And there could be some behaviors that are abstract, but we could still notice, oh, you're acting like a New Yorker, you could say, right? <laughs> but even then, New York is so diverse. Everywhere is just about. So this internal idea that no one gets it but us is a bias. And this internal idea that why am I the only person who cares? Why is everybody else around me so terrible? It's a bad habit, is what it is. 
and it's a crutch. And it's something that I myself tell myself frequently. I repeat to myself more often than I'd like, the hell, man, no one freaking gets it. I get frustrated with things like the widespread, widespread and rampant ignorance, especially in my country. Not ignorance in that people don't know what I think they should know, but in fact, very clear indications of ignorance. Ignorance that's, in my opinion, objectively immoral. And I don't understand it. And I get frustrated and I feel like, what the hell does nobody understand? It's just like all the drivers. And that relative morality is where people mess up. That's what, that's what messes people up, I should say. Because see, the idea that objective morality is a thing is something that I believe in, but not everyone does, and it's still a contentious point. Objectively moral means that there is no predetermined, you know, I don't know, decree of what is moral and what is not. Say like in a religious sort of, any type of religious tenets or um, whatever it may be in a religious faith or an organizational uh, faith of some kind, that is subjective morality because it's been written out, everybody agrees to it, therefore this is moral. However, you all just agreed to terms that someone else might disagree with. So is there such a thing as objective morality? I believe there is. I believe there is. Well, there are some people who will perhaps genuinely <laughs> enjoy killing somebody. I do believe that that's very extremely rare. And I don't think there's joy in it in most people who do it. So I feel like not killing somebody is objectively moral. And we could dissect all of this 17 different ways from Tuesday and try to determine all kinds of nuances and variables and things that may fit into subject, you know, subjective morality that I would call objective. And we could analyze it all day. And therefore, like I said, it's contentious. But see, murder, universally agreed on by pretty much everybody to be objectively moral, whether they're looking at that term or not. But it starts getting blurrier in other things that aren't as severe as murder. Right? We mentioned religion. There's a lot of different religious sort of belief systems out there, right? And what's considered moral and decent in one could be completely the opposite in the other. There could be variations, you know, and different sort of, you know, fluctuations of, of what that means and uh, when is it moral, when is it not. And like I said, some things are completely polar opposite, which is really interesting because these doctrines of morality can completely contradict each other. Never mind that people who subscribed to said doctrine of said religion can behave in the exact opposite way of that doctrine or manifesto of whatever that religion has declared to be moral. And this all means what for us? Well, it means more frustrating information, more frustrating awareness in that everything is malleable and everything is flexible. And so you want somehow, if you really think about this, you want somehow to get out in a car and what? What do you prefer over the chaos of everyone not knowing how to drive except you and people pissing you off and you yelling at them and flicking them off and chasing them down? What do you expect and prefer and genuinely think it's going to happen that will be satisfactory to you the next time you go out driving? Well, people just don't drive like idiots. Okay. 
Real simple. What does that even mean? Really what you're saying, the majority of you, what you're saying is that people don't bug you and people don't frighten you. It's about you. It's a very egotistical statement. If people don't bother you, then everything is right. Everything is objectively moral and objectively decent in your eyes. See, when someone, when the light turns green and the car in front of us is sitting there and you kind of look like, okay, I'm about to honk the horn. They're not moving. The light just turned green. Why are they still stopped? And you realize they have their phone up and they're looking at their phone. And you're like, damn it. This is not the time. And you give them a little honk. And they, oh, okay. And they go and they put the foot down, their phone down and they go and you make it through the light. And then you're like, God damn. I hate it when that happens. Sometimes we miss the green light because someone's fucking with their phone. And then you drive around them. Maybe you flick them off. Maybe you go roll down the window and say, get off your fucking phone. Maybe you throw a big ass tantrum. Fantastic. But what about that time that you drift off into the lane a little bit and you get a little love tap horn? Oh, shit. What about that time when you were messing with the, 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 the stereo system or your phone or something on the floor or whatever? Just having to be looking down at the gauges. And someone gives you a honk because the light turned green. Then you're like, oh, oh shit, sorry, my bad, my bad. And you're like, oh damn, I'm sorry. You wave a little bit like, my bad. And in your mind, that's you justify it. Well, see, I never do that. That's a genuine mistake. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, it's over. That's, that's not how I am. And you do it, and I know you do it. So don't tell me you don't, because <laughs> we all do. Take that off the road which is legitimately dangerous, but take that off the road for a second. What do you also do? What you also do is you take the same exact idea that when you make a mistake, it's okay. Because you, you don't mean this. You're not trying to egregiously play with your phone out of neglect. You're genuinely checking something. You rarely do this, but it was important at the moment. You got distracted because you had a tough day. You've had a pounding headache. You can't think clearly. There's always a reason in your mind. But there's not always a reason in your mind for the other person's behavior, is there? And we can see that manifest itself in your interpersonal relationships in all kinds of different ways. But one key way is in your outward behavior or lack thereof, and then expecting, whether it's your partner, business associate, parent, whoever, friend, you expect them to respond to you based on what you just, you know. You're in a romantic relationship, long-term marriage, new person you're dating, doesn't matter, okay? And you like, I love this person. This person is great. They make me happy. But you don't behave in any way to convey that. So when you have a moment of difficulty and your partner is like, Okay, they, they're frustrated with you. And you think, look, I'm just having a difficult time. Why are you being this way? Why are you so frustrated with me? It's easy to say they just don't care and they're cold and they're callous. But think about it. How many times perhaps have you been so wrapped up in being convinced that you're good and decent and you love your partner? And everything is great. And this relationship is fine because you believe it to be. But you haven't done anything to express this. Or very, very little. What you are doing is taking things for granted. 
like on the road. You take it for granted when things happen to you that are upsetting others. That's not a big deal. That doesn't always happen. It's fine. The assumption is that everyone else does it all the time, but you're the only one who does it every now and then. And in your interpersonal relationship, you're not expressing gratitude to the other person enough or at all. You're not expressing, you know, everything from, from simple acts of compassion and reassurance, affection. You're not handling your side of this relationship in some manner, but because you know in your head that you like the relationship, everything's fine. And if your partner or your associate or your friend or your parent, your child questions you, and you think, what, where do you get off saying that? Where, I care about you. Everything's fine. I don't know. I'm sorry I had a bad day, but I don't do this. And then your partner or your friend, whoever, has to say, <laughs> or at least they try to say if, they, if they're really thinking about it, they might convey to you that they don't feel anything coming from you. You're either neutral or negative. And that's because in your mind, you're the greatest driver in the world. But no one knows this. And you're not putting anything forward that, that can be submitted as evidence that you are the greatest driver in the world. And so when you do make a mistake, it really sticks out. Because to the people around you, you have not been showing enough of what you claim to be. Which might be compassionate, empathetic, committed, benevolent, devoted. You might have all of these things. Excited, passionate, connected. You might feel all of these things, but if you're never expressing it, when those bad things happen, the people around you will not treat you like, well, you never do this. You're never like this, so something's wrong. Let me see how I can help. Because they're mostly dealing with you flicking everyone off on the road, yelling at someone for cutting you off or drifting into your lane or not moving when the light turned green. You are constantly fighting this world, quietly maybe or loudly or whatever. But in your mind, you love everybody who you care about. In your mind, you're committed. In your mind, we're friends. What's the problem? Well, again, I know it seems abstract to connect this driving behavior to our interpersonal behaviors. But I do see that a lot. And that's the best way I can describe it. We feel we are okay. We are justified. Because of what's in our fucking head. But we don't fucking say it. You don't need to, to smother your friend or partner. And annoy them with objectively like pathological behavior to show them that you care. But when you're sending out almost nothing, especially when you're not simply practicing gratitude of the relationship that you are supposedly grateful for. When things fall apart and when someone who is as, as difficult as perhaps you are with your perceptions of things, when things fall apart for you somewhat regularly, your partner, your friends, whoever, they are not going to be as receptive as you think they are. 
Remember, people know what you tell them. People see what you show them. People understand what you explain. We're together. We're in a relationship. I told you I love you. We're done here. Now let's just go through the motions. And when something goes wrong, I expect you to completely understand because you say you love me. This is what we do on the road. Everyone needs to account for us, but we don't need to account for them. Their mess ups are egregious and inexcusable. My mess ups are incidental and not common. But see, on the road, there is no connection with the other drivers. There's no means to connect with them. They come in to the, your experience and then out very quickly. There's no means to set any type of precedent. There's no means to practice gratitude. So you have to accept things as they happen. But in interpersonal relationships, you can't expect things when they go bad for you to be carried as easily and simply, especially repeatedly, when you haven't been practicing gratitude, when you haven't been explaining where you are, when you haven't been showing that you care, when you haven't been saying that you care and actually doing something about it selflessly, selflessly, with a real passion to give with the idea that the more you give, by default, the more you get. It's the same thing. It's the same thing as on the road. This idea that we are okay. And everyone else should know that we are. And if it sounds like I'm speaking from a place of experience, it's because I am. <laughs> I definitely am. And I have made my mistakes, and I have been on the receiving end of mistakes in interpersonal relationships quite a bit. And that's something that I've kind of come to realize. That if you act like the only person in the world knows how to fucking drive, and everyone else, including the person you're in a relationship with, just doesn't understand. And then when you have a scary moment on the road, the other drivers don't have any sympathy for you. Your partner has no sympathy for you or very little because they're just like, oh my God, do you do anything except remind everybody how great you are at driving? Have you shown any compassion for the other drivers? Have you shown any interest in their well-being? Have you asked them how their fucking day went? Probably not. I don't know exactly what you can take from this episode today, but if I had to pick something, it would be just to remind you once again that being grateful is not simply or not entirely an internal act. We do lack it on the internal side frequently. But when you are being grateful, showing it is important. Nothing is a given. Nothing isn't understood. And if you think that you have professed your friendship or your love or your commitment in, in a relationship to somebody, if you think that that professed commitment and devotion is enough and now you're good, expect to find yourself without that person soon. It's a constant giving cycle. It's a constant giving cycle. The road is scary because there's a lot of dangers when we're driving. But if you get in that car already upset, looking for a fight, you're gonna find one. Now, 
let's hope we don't have a random accident and you die. Let's face it, that's possible. That's how the freeways are, how the roads are. People die every day. We know this. So the direct comparison is not completely node for node comparable. I get that. But the idea that you're surrounded by idiots and you're the one who gets it, but don't treat me badly. I understand. I'm sorry if no one else does, but I do. And I'm sorry I've made a mistake, but you should know that I care. And you should know that I know better. The other drivers don't know because you can't talk to them. You can't show them anything. You can't treat them any sort of way before they engage you. But you can your partners. You can your friends. You can your business associates and your family. You can set a precedence that you care about their well-being. Even while <laughs> you're watching out for number one. Even if you're confident in the decisions that you make through life. Show some vulnerability. Give of yourself. You can't make someone into you. And you can't take them for granted that they exist. The more you take something for granted, the more likely it's going to vanish. Yeah, I will also tell you from experience as I wrap this up. That you can very easily take each other for granted in a relationship and just let that drag on for years and years and years and years and years. Under the premise, perhaps, of this is just what must be done. This is what you do when you're committed. This is what you do when you made a, a commitment. This is the right thing to do. And you got this idea in your mind that you're righteous and true and great and you keep going and years go by. Yep. Don't let that happen to you. Practice gratitude immediately. And then not just internally, but practice gratitude outwardly. I'm telling this from experience, not just it happening to me, but me being careless and doing it to others. When you message or text your friend every day to complain about something that's bothering you every goddamn day, you're being that person. You're that driver on the road. Woe is me. Everyone else sucks. And your friend, God bless him, <laughs> could be your biggest homie in the world. And after a while, they're going to be like, dude, <laughs> you know? H have you tried to contact that person, your friend? or your partner, ask them how they're doing and really look for an answer and listen to the answer. If you haven't done that enough or at all, consider that. It's a good start to trying to understand their role in your life and yours and theirs. A commitment up front. We love each other. We're great. We belong together. We're homies. We go way back. We're cool. A commitment up front is wonderful. But if there's no follow through, there's no action beyond that. Then you're just the asshole driver who doesn't think you're the asshole driver. 